Welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. And hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. I am Bill Snyder. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us once again here on the Sewing Hope Podcast. As always, I am joined by my good friend, Ann DeSantis, and uh, we are in the second part of a four-part series on our book, Hearts Burning Within Us, uh, which is uh, a book for college students, and uh, so today we're going to be uh, delving into uh, all the parts about living the faith, uh, and I'm excited for this topic, Ann. Yeah, I really am, and I think it was a great idea on your part that we do a whole podcast series on our book. Of course, we, we wrote the book Hearts Burning Within Us in 2021 with two others. That would be Maggie Riggins and Jen Oakley, who was then Jen Southerton, yeah. and we thank them because we came together with a group of college students asking them those burning questions that they had about the faith. Because as you and I know, and as a lot of people who are watching this podcast right now, is that college time, you know, it is a time of temptation, a time that some young people do walk away from the faith. And so that's one reason we wrote this book, is to bring that awareness about the importance of sticking with your faith, not only through high school, but all the way through college and for the rest of our lives, for that matter. And so this is the second section of the book that we're going to discuss today, which is called living the faith. And if some of you who are listening to this podcast, watching this podcast would like to buy the book, just go to patchworkheart.org and get some details there on how to buy the book. And so, Bill, I wondered if we could unpack some of those questions on living the faith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there's uh, five questions in this uh, or six questions in this uh, set, uh, but all of them are super heavy, uh, I would think. You know, they're they're very... Um, they're very difficult, deep questions uh, that we tried to answer really in a quick <laughs> and short way in the book, um, you know, but also profoundly, too. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, we can certainly delve into, you know, some of the topics in there. Um, but, yeah, it, this is about, you know, what does it mean to actually put your faith into action uh, in your daily life? And I think for, you know, Catholic students, uh, that's one of the biggest, you know, uh, questions, right? It's not just some theory. It's how do we actually live this on a on a daily basis because you know that's one thing that i think surprised me in the process too and was the fact that uh students were really um wanting to know how to do this not just on sunday but every single day of the week they wanted to know you know how do i live my faith you know with every beat of my heart and i think that that's a beautiful 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 uh witness um, that 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 we saw from those students, right? Like like the fact that we heard that come out of their mouths in these questions, like you know, how do I do this practically every day, versus you know, how do I just show up for mass every Sunday, or how do I you know, those were not the questions that we were getting. So uh, these are these are really deep, really profound uh, questions that again we tried to answer with uh, some humor, but also um, some uh, some some uh, profundity in there as well. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to delve into these topics for sure. 
Yeah, I am too. Now, admittedly, Bill, as you know, that this particular section was a shorter section in the book. However, <laughs> yeah. there's a reason that it's shorter is because some of the actual chapters in this section were more lengthy. Um, I'm just going to read just a couple of the ones were on um, the morality of unnecessary purchases, living together before marriage, underage drinking, Catholic political decisions, uh, representations of Jesus and in interpreting the transfiguration account and the church and marijuana use, which I think will be an interesting thing for us to talk about a little bit. Now, we're not going to get into full details about the book because we would recommend that you actually purchase the book. But the one uh, the one section, which is the first one in this one, is the morality of unnecessary purchases. And I was the one who actually wrote this one. So, I mean, it's only a, a real short paragraph, so I am going to read what it says. It says, is it immoral to buy things you don't need? And it says, it is not immoral to buy things you don't need, but as a Catholic, we should always strive to be a good steward so that we should do our best to have money to also give to our church, charities, and to help the poor. It's always a better choice to be frugal and to attempt to pay less for items if possible and to be better stewards of the money God has granted us. We are blessed with all that God provides in our lives. Perhaps the bigger picture is how can we use our gifts to enrich the lives of others because greed is a deadly sin and prayer and discernment is the best practice to make good choices when it comes to stewardship. So let's talk a little bit about that, Bill. Um, I think the bottom line of it is it's not so much you know, how much we spend and how frivolous we're being, but where is our heart in all of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I... Isn't that what it is? Yeah, I would hear my mom quote, um, <laughs> she would say, uh, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, right? Uh, and it's it's so true. I know it sounds like, you know, it's actually from Scripture, um, and I've been a blank on where in Scripture that is, but, uh, but you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, but it also sounds like a Spider-Man quote, you know what I mean? It really does. It's something like, hey, wait a minute, did Jesus quote Spider-Man here or something? But, you know, there's a, there's a um, really beautiful, um, you know, understanding that when we're blessed with a lot, we're expected to give a lot, you know? Um, and, and I always like that, you know, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, e it's easier for a rich man to, you know, go through the eye of a needle, uh, or, you know, than it is, uh, to get into heaven, right? Like that, like that is very, very profound, um, understanding of mor the morality of, um, you know, wealth. And there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. It's how you organize. It's how you pack your wealth um, to help others, right? I think that's one of those things that um, you know I really want to um, you know stress is that, and you did a great job answering that in the book, Anne, because um, you know it, how do you pack your wealth in such a way that you uh, you live for others? You know, you you give to charity. Um, and when it comes to purchases, right? Like, you know, if you're blessed with a lot, are you hoarding it all for yourself? Um, or are you giving, giving it away? Now that doesn't mean that, um, you know, you can't have nice things, right? I mean, I think we would all say that we're allowed to have nice things. Um, but as you said, stewardship is protecting, um, and using those good things for the building up of the kingdom. Um, so, you know, the other thing to remember, uh, the other scriptural story that comes to my mind, too, 
is that, you know, the, in, in the temptation of Jesus, right? Jesus is offered all the kingdoms of the world if he bows down to Satan and he, and, and he worships him. He goes, I, I will give you all of this. I will give you everything, Satan says, you know, if you just worship me. And we got to keep that in the back of our minds, right? Like when we, when we see all this wealth or all these, you know, worldly ple- pleasures coming our way and we, and, we, and we grab as many as we possibly can, <laughs> right? I got to get, I have to have this, I have to have this, I have to have this. Is that Satan offering you all the kingdoms of the world and you saying, and you saying, yeah, you know, so there's something profound in recognizing that, you know, our, our monetary resources, our purchases, uh, the things that we do, we should be uh, looking at how we use them for the building up of the kingdom of God. And if we're not doing that, then, um, you know, how do we, how do we do that better? Uh, And, and so the other thing I think, again, is just an amazing question, right? Like, I, I didn't ask this question. I didn't even think this would be on the minds of college students. But this was on the minds of college students, right? Um, so that is telling me a lot about where the hearts are of our young people in today's culture. And it's beautiful to see, hey, you know what? Wait a minute. Before I go out and buy, you know, my Lamborghini, um, am, you know, am, I, um, am I doing the right thing? you know, and trying to serve the Lord. And that is just, by even asking that question, it's just incredibly beautiful. Yeah, I I agree because it's a temptation for all of us, I think, especially even if we have um, just a little bit of extra spending money, because we do have a choice with how we're going to spend that, how we're going to use those resources that God has given us and whether we're going to share it as well with, with other people who are in need. You know, and just making that smart purchase, right? It doesn't have to be something really extravagant, but something that it's what you need. It's not a broken down version, right? But it's sometimes that middle purchase is probably the best. You know, it's not the top of the line. It's not the the absolute cheapest thing that you can ever absolutely buy, but it's something good that is worthy and will, you know, and it'll last. Hopefully it'll last too. Now, another question in this book is living together before marriage. And I think this is a really good one for us to talk about a little bit. The question in the book under chapter 21, which, of course, was not from Bill and I. This was from actually from the students themselves, says, why can't uh, we live together before getting married? It seems like it's impractical these days to wait. Wouldn't we be a lot smarter or uh, better off testing our compatibility and, and sound financial foundation to enter life together? Why wait? And it's funny that we're airing this podcast actually the week before my own daughter's wedding. (laughs) Her her wedding is is October 1st um, to her fiance, Zach. And we're really excited now when um, when this is airing, it's actually the week, you know, several days before. And um, I know that my daughter and my future son-in-law got that all the time. You know, why are you two not living together? And they are two people that just made that decision that they wanted to follow, you know, what the actual church teaching is about human sexuality. So, Bill, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything about that, because we wrote a whole chapter in this book, didn't we, about living together before mm-hmm. marriage. So share whatever you wish. Yeah, I think, um, again, you know, the approach um, that I took in answering this one uh, was that the was that. It was the, 
it was from the question itself, right? Like the the kids understood that sex before marriage, you know, in the other questions in this book was wrong. I mean, like we answer those in um, other chapters uh, in in the book, but why wait out of the you know secular for, from the secular perspective, right? Like even if you can live in two separate bedrooms, even if you can do all of those things, like, you know, gr- I, I think I, yeah, I, in fact, I think the way I wrote it, uh, I, I'm just going to read it because, um, you know, it was, um, it was, it was kind of, you know, a, a practical response, right? So we, we, we addressed, you know, of course, you know, having premarital sex in another question in the book, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, but, uh, but I said, as we mentioned in a few of the previous questions regarding sexuality, God doesn't want you to have sex before marriage. Putting yourself in a situation where you're living with someone who, are, who is physically and emotionally attracted to you is to surround yourself in a constant state of temptation. It can also cause scandal because friends and acquaintances might just presume you're having sex. But let's say for the sake of the argument, you were able to completely avoid premarital sex should you live together prior to marriage. Marriage is a sacrament. It gives supernatural grace to the recipients, meaning that when your better half asks you to do the dishes every night for seven consecutive weeks, pick up your socks off the floor, or run to the store at 1.30 in the morning, you will have the grace to realize they aren't being selfish or asking too much of you because you made a lifelong vow to love and honor them all the days of their lives. Um, so, you know, I, um, I, you know I, I'm not going to read the full response, but... Um, that was the angle that I took in, in, in it just to kind of give you a taste of it. And again, it was not from the, from the sex angle. It was from the angle of how are we as husband and wife, um, you know, dying to self. And when you have a uh, relationship where you're living together prior to marriage, research actually states that you will hide certain aspects of your character. You ha- you hide your character flaws uh, because you want to impress the other person for a period of time, <laughs> right? So without that commitment, you're like, oh man, I'm, I know I'm a really messy person. My wife is really clean, right? And if I, and if I you know, lived together, she, she would know, man, I'm a really messy person, so let me hide that aspect. I'm going to do my best. And then... Um, there's there's an aspect there, right? Like you're trying to impress, uh, so that you can test it out better. Um, and there's a lot of research. In fact, I, we even um, linked one of the research uh, articles in the in the book itself on that, um, and that and that the divorce rates are actually higher when you live together prior to marriage. Um, and so, because you're hiding an aspect of yourself to impress the other person, you know, and and, and that's funny. You know, um, but it really, it really is true. So, you know, practicality states if you really want your marriage to last longer uh, and last forever, um, you know, don't, don't live together before marriage. Um, Because, because that, because you are vowed, once you're, once you're married, you're vowed, right, to love and honor and serve that person every day of your life. Before that, you didn't make that. You didn't make that commitment. You didn't make that vow. Um, and and I know when I looked into my wife's eyes on my wedding day, like it meant complete total sacrifice um, for for 
you know, of myself. And do I, and do I live it perfectly? No. But the grace of the sacrament allows me to the 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 opportunity to do it better the next time. And I think that's really important for young people to remember. Great job, Bill. And and you're right. I mean, we can look at it in two different ways, right? You look you can look at the sexuality aspect of it and then you can look at the actual like living in the same place. Um, but they really do I think the point of it is is that they do intermingle, they do go together. And it, it is a vow that you make on that day, as Bill said. It's very important to take that seriously in every way. And when you give yourself to someone on that day of your marriage, you're not just giving them, you know, your intellect, you know, your, your mental, you know, all of those aspects of who we are, right? Emotional, physical. We're giving ourselves totally, right? And so it should be done after that event of the wedding itself, the totality of it, really. It's not, it shouldn't be before that. So that, that's what it really comes down to, is that when we, we're giving ourselves you know, physically to, it's, it's got to be, it should be, right, according to what we believe, um, after you've made that vow. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the next chapter in the book is underage drinking, which I have to say, this one, when we wrote the book, when we actually discussed these questions, this was the one that kind of took the longest, I think, because there were two different ways of looking at it, right? There's some states that it's, 21 or you know before 21 and some countries that it's at like 18 and it was like okay well if it's not a sin in say wisconsin or whatever to drink before 21 but it is in pennsylvania you know uh is it really a sin because it's just kind of a law a civil law or whatever um but what it comes down to and i think it's best said in this one of the last paragraphs of what we wrote we say Remember, it's easy to obey the laws and rules that you agree with, but a true test of character is to obey those we do not like. While it may not be unpopular, obedience does not ask your opinion or ours. Therefore, we will refrain from sharing what we personally think about the law. And that's kind of how we answered that, because we had a lot of uh, kind of debate during that, Bill. And um, But I think at the end of the day, just to answer the question, is it a sin if you're living in a certain state, Say I'm in Pennsylvania, and if my child or someone I know, if they're drinking before 21, would that be considered a sin? Yeah. Yes, it would. And yeah. why? Because it's disobeying the law, which has your best, which has a good intent. Now, we know there's laws that don't have good intent, right? right. We know that there's laws that are put out there that aren't always the best for society, but for something that we can judge and that the church has judged as, okay, well, this one is to protect people. Right. Right. So. So, yes. I mean, what now what level of sin? Now, I, I wouldn't be the one to judge that. Like, what kind of sin would it be? Right. Because there's all kinds of circumstances there, too. Yeah. But, Bill, I didn't know if you wanted to share. No, absolutely. And I think the other big piece of this is to remember, you know, what, um, yeah, I, you know, first of all, yes, it's, it's sinful, you know, to break a just law. Just law theory states, you know, that we are to follow just laws that are placed into, um, you know, a, a certain sphere. Um, and as Catholics, we have the opportunity um, to either follow them or not, right? I mean, that's kind of like what God says. Either follow these, you know, follow my laws or you don't. Um, we don't have to like it. We don't, we don't, get, a, we don't get a vote on whether we, um, you know, like, like the laws or not most of the time. Uh, we can vote certain politicians in and out, you know, um, to, to change these laws, but if they're just, if they're uh, for the good of society as a whole, 
and you know underage drinking can be seen as uh, something good for a society you know putting laws around that you know so that uh, brain development of children uh, can be developed properly right your brain isn't fully formed until you're 25 anyway <laughs> but you know here we here we are uh, really working um, very very hard to uh, you know tell you that yeah it's sinful to break a, ju a just law um, at the same time I want to remind any college student listening to this, that uh, that biblically, God's law is to dr to to drink in excess is sinful, right? So um, while while you know certainly breaking a just law is sinful, um, if you are 21, if you are 35, if you are 58, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you are drinking to get drunk, and uh, to you know. Uh, not not just in a social setting, one or two beers to relax with your friends, uh, you know, and drink responsibly. If you're drinking irresponsibly, then it is sinful. You know, getting drunk uh, is a sin, uh, regardless of whether you are 15 or whether you are 25. Um, so what benefit does it give to you if you drink underage? That's the other question I'd ask. What benefit does it give you? Uh, to be the popular person at a party, uh, to be, you know, um, what, what, what are you gaining by drinking underage? That, that's my question back to, back to students, right? Uh, what are you, what are you doing? Um, and what are you gaining from, from drinking underage? And what setting are you in? Um, you know, uh, again, like it, the, the, you know, the drinking age in Puerto Rico, where my wife is, uh, was 18, you know, uh, and, and, it, and it still is 18. <laughs> so she had a, uh, it, it vastly different experience growing up than I did here in the United States. Um, the, the, the drinking laws didn't start until then. Um, and then, uh, or, or, or they started earlier than, than they started for me, right? Uh, so vastly different experience with alcohol uh, and but but also they don't have just a bunch of of um, you know college binge parties either, right? So there's multiple ways to see this. But the reality is, if you're not respecting the laws in your local local area um, where you are currently residing, that is that is sinful. Um, and our opinion on it, <laughs> and our opinion on it really doesn't matter. <laughs> as <laughs> as we said in the book, we could we could give you our opinion on it. Um, and it can differ all, all, you know, and it, and, and it did right between the kids, between four of us authoring the book, it differed. Uh, um, and there were a lot of different, um, you know, uh, aspects of it, but, uh, it didn't really matter, did it? Uh, it, the, the law is the law and we have to follow it if it's just as a Catholic. Yeah, that's a good point. And I will mention too, that we actually had a Catholic priest kind of read over the book and make sure that you know it was theologically sound and we did have him double check over that that particular chapter because we had some concern because of all the back and forth that we did and um you know everybody has their own experience and their own thoughts about underage drinking or drunk driving or whatever it is i mean i grew up in a family where my mom's brother when he was 23 now granted i believe you know he was over the drinking age but I mean he did die in a drunk driving accident um, unfortunately he was the driver and unfortunately 
not only did he die, but others died too. And so, you know, I, I heard growing up all the time to be careful not to drink and drive and how important that was because my mom lost a brother and, and, you know, my grandparents were distraught by that too. And we all have our family stories, right. About how we've been affected by that. And so for me, you know, that did have an effect on me and safety and everything else. And so, you know, I guess, but in the end, like Bill said, what it comes down to is what's the just law? What does the Catholic Church really teach about this? And it's not for stealing away our fun either. It's not for that at all. It's just to, to protect. Now, there's other discussions that we had in this particular section. But, Bill, I thought we could kind of end with one of the ones that I'm sure that some people that are watching might uh have some questions and it's the church and marijuana use and the question itself was what is the catholic church's stance on marijuana is it legal it is legal in certain states and countries it is used for medical reasons and social contexts and to achieve relaxation while while it is used used to being seen as a quote bad drug it is now widely accepted as a good thing for individuals and for society what should my approach be to this as a catholic so um bill I know that you were the one when we wrote the book, all of us took a different section. Like mm -hmm. that was the one that we worked on. Uh, mine was morality. So I did the one for whatever reason I did one on drinking, but I believe that Bill, you did this one uh, on, yeah. on the marijuana use. So let's talk about it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, again, you're at college parties. It kind of goes hand in hand with the underage drinking, but uh, there's a little bit of a different twist with this because um, it, this is, you know, a psychedelic, uh, drug, right? It, it, it causes, um, you know, a, a psychedelic response in your brain um, and, you know, achieves relaxation or whatever the question says. But, you know, there's, there is, uh, you know, there are some benefits to it. There are, you know, in, that we hear about in society, you know, many states are legalizing it um, right now uh, as well. But um, as a Catholic, should I really be smoking marijuana? And um, the answer is, has to be unequivocally no, uh, and and I, I I you know I quote scripture. Um, it's First uh, Peter, chapter five verses eight and nine. Your opponent, the devil, is 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 prowling around like a roaring lion, lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in faith, knowing your fellow believers undergo the same sufferings. Be sober and vigilant. Be sober and vigilant, right? That's how that scripture passage begins. And so you have to understand that when, um, you know, we are, we are to be, uh, you know, sober. Like I, like I said, drinking to the point of getting drunk is sinful. Using drugs to the point of where you are, your mind is altered, you don't have all of your, you know, faculties being able to uh, make rational decisions is also sinful. The church teaches that. Now, the, now, the question about the medical aspect of this, right, when we begin to look at the medical aspect of it, um, you know, that um, I, I talk about this. Is it, um, I, I say we have an obligation to God to live soberly and use marijuana. Uh, the use of marijuana can provide a foothold for Satan to enter our souls and wreak more havoc upon us. In the sense of medical usage, could a case be allowed under the strict medical care of uh, professionals? It might be considered reasonable. However, with the advancements 
uh, in pain management drugs that we have available today, it is not a necessity. Also, keep in mind that physical suffering has an important purpose in our lives and can help us grow in a relationship with God. God's plan of salvation didn't include transporting our minds to an altered state or magically doing away with all of our pain. Rather, he showed us that he was willing to become one of us, experience the human condition, and redeem us by suffering an excruciating death for us. Jesus says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And so finding a constant escape of our pain through drugs or excessive alcohol, whether it be emotional or physical, is not appropriate for the disciples of Christ and certainly sinful. So you have to understand that, you know, it's, you know, yeah, okay, we're supposed to escape our pain. And yeah, pain, look, you know, I, I can go on the, on, on, off the personal reference right now, right? Uh, I've been through three open heart surgeries. The last one I remember when I was 27 years old, right? Uh, the first two experiences I had when I was a very, very young kid, I was three weeks old. I was about a year old in my second surgery. I will tell you, that uh, I did not have any pain management drugs for the first two surgeries. The, my, my surgeon did not believe in pain drugs whatsoever for infants, and so I don't remember that pain because it was too young to remember it. But let me tell you that when I was 27 and I uh, you know, entered the hospital to have open-heart surgery, I certainly wanted you know, pain management uh, and pain management to be available to me, uh, but I certainly did not misuse it, right? Uh, there were there were some difficult moments in the very beginning of that you know uh, recovery process after I first woke up that were really hard, really painful, um, and and the pain level was very very high. Um, did I use you know um, drugs to help do that? Uh, people that suffer from chronic pain, I you know I I can understand you know your position. You don't want to be constantly living like that, um, but there are drugs out there that. Are, are better choice than marijuana to to do that um, and and work for you there are better drugs out there um, so so yeah I, so I do have an experience with that I do have um, an understanding of, of what pain management drugs can do and how they help um, but again it's not something that you want to be addicted to right even prescription drugs can be misused uh, I I would get off of that stuff as fast as I could, man. I was I was on Advil 48 hours after my after my surgery, heavy doses of Advil. I wanted no part of the of the um, heavier, you know, um, drugs that that they use in pain management. I within 48 hours I was off of it. Uh, and and again, it's also embracing the cross. It's embracing the cross a little bit um, in in the medical sense. Recreationally, it's it's definitely a hard no. Um, you know, could you make a case? Maybe. Um, but I think that there's enough technology and newer drugs out there um, under the strict care of medical professionals that you don't need it. Um, that's, you know, that that is probably, you know, a little bit of my opinion sneaking through um, there. But um, again, for recreational use, it's a hard no by the church. Uh, so I'll kind of leave it there. Yeah, Bill, thank you so much for sharing your experience there. Now, I know we got to end pretty soon, but at the end of that chapter, I just thought it was interesting. Now, remember that this catechism quote is not directed toward those who have medical issues or whatever, okay? But I'm going to read what the catechism says. It says, the use of drugs inflicts very grave damage on human health and life. Their use, except on strictly therapeutic grounds, is a grave offense. Uh, clandestine production of and trafficking in drugs are scandalous practices 
They constitute direct cooperation evil since they encourage people to practice gravely uh, practices gravely contrary to the moral law. And that's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church 2291. So I just wanted to end it there. And as you see, that catechism quote isn't about directly uh, about those who are taking medical drugs for different health issues. Mm -hmm. It's talking about recreational. So Bill, thanks so much for everything on this podcast. It's been great. I can't wait for the next one. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, congratulations to your daughter and your whole family for uh, the upcoming wedding. It's going to be quite the event. So, uh, so congratulations. Thank you. Can't wait. Can't wait. And congratulations to Elaine and Zach. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, folks, uh, until next time from all of us here at the Patchwork Heart Ministry. We hope that uh, you have a wonderful uh, week and weekend. Uh, May God bless you uh, abundantly. Keep beating to your Catholic heart and sowing hope into those broken hearts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sowing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2.